Hello, Fitch Tribe. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. I hope you are all well. This is Jermaine, as usual, with you, the host of the Fitch Tribe podcast. On this episode, I'm talking to Bill Dwight, who's the CEO and founder of FamZoo. He built this business, he built this app actually, all the way back in 2006, and he's been building it ever since then. In this episode, we get into FamZoo's beginning. We then go on to discuss the ultimate goal of what FamZoo is trying to do, uh, which is to make young people more familiar with how to handle money and allowing young people to develop good habits. We then get into Bill and his family's entrepreneurial sort of history and background, what it was like growing up in Silicon Valley, which I'm extremely jealous of. I am yet to visit Silicon Valley, but it's such a such an awesome place, especially when it comes to tech. Uh, we then talk about how he fell into computer science, um, which leads into a brief discussion about uh, online data and the footprints and um, how it's increasingly easy for companies to target specific ads towards you. Uh, we then go into talking about why he chose to leave his lucrative executive position and actually get into uh, doing it all by himself um, and starting FamZoo. Uh, the main reasons why he wanted to begin working on projects that he believed in more deeply and how he just loved achieving financial independence. That inevitably, that conversation gets into talking about how it is to be a CEO of a company, um, what it means, you know, taking a step back, taking that sort of overall view and managing people, um, managing teams in, in a lot of cases as well. So this episode is full of a lot of really good nuggets of, of value and information. Um, Bill's got this amazing, amazing history and work history. So I'm really, really excited to get into it. I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll talk soon. Welcome to the Future Tribe podcast, where we're all about taking your future to the next level. Whether it is interviewing guests or unpacking strategies, you know we will be talking about getting things done and backing you, a fellow optimistic go-getter. And now, as always, here is your host, the formidable, fortunate and highly favoured, Jermaine Muller. Hello, Future Tribe. Thank you for joining us for another episode. I hope you're all well. It's Jermaine with you as usual. And this episode, we've got Bill Dwight from FamZoo. He's the CEO and founder. How are you, Bill? I'm good, Jermaine. Nice to be with you. Thanks for joining us. So let's, let's get into it. Let's, let's start off with what is FamZoo? What does FamZoo do? Well, first of all, FamZoo is short for my family is a zoo. <laughs> So uh, I'm, my wife and I have raised five children wow. and um, when the oldest kids were around middle school or so, we realized that they really weren't learning anything about personal finance. And so it was kind of looking around for, you know, a way to teach them uh, that money is a finite resource mm -hmm. and uh, that, you know, managing money is a skill and so forth. So I was kind of looking around for products to help me do that. And there really wasn't much because the products are really designed for adults, largely financial products. And so this was in 2006 and I decided to initially to just sort of model a bank in a set of spreadsheets and 
since I've been a lifelong software developer mm -hmm. over time, I got a little tired of the kids coming into my office and saying, Hey dad, what's my balance? <laughs> so I built, I built a little website where they could sign in and see their balance. And then we started adding things like compound interest and so forth. But we did it, you know, I did it in a way that sped it up in time and simplified it. So they would get their compound interest weekly, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. And it was an outrageous bank of dad interest rate, you know, <laughs> because if you earn a penny or two uh, in interest in a year, that's not terribly interesting to a kid. Yes. But if you're getting 20 cents a week or something like that, then you really get the message. So FAMZU is all about teaching kids personal finance, helping parents teach their kids personal finance. Mm -hmm. And uh, over time, it turned from just a personal website. I turned it into a business. Then we added prepaid cards so that the kids uh, actually had real money to spend. And the parents still had all the automated rules around income, whether that was allowance or chores or whatnot, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, setting up interest, parent paid interest. And um, uh, also the money sometimes flows in the other direction. So the parents can set up billing. Uh, so the kids nice. can pay their share of the, the, um, whatever you know, the it may phone, be. cell phone yes. bill or whatnot. Yeah. So yeah. really the idea was, let the kids learn about personal finance concepts and financial concepts in a safe environment uh, where they can't do damage to their credit score or any of those things. That's why prepaid cards are wonderful because you can't spend more than what's on the card and we don't what's on the card. charge. But, any, but at the um, start, so at the start, it was just um, fake money, so to speak. It was just yeah, a at virtual. The, at the start, it was just a ledgering system, really. It was like right. A okay. It's like those ledgering um, system. Because you get that sort of thing for um, learning how to trade and things like that, where mm -hmm. it's just mm -hmm. it's just you play around, you get a thousand dollars to start with, but it's you're not going to lose a thousand dollars. Well, it, it was a little different in the sense that it was real money to the kids because if the kids wanted to buy something, then they would come to dad uh, and say, right. uh, "Dad, you know, I have uh, fifty-eight dollars in my account. I'd like to buy this thirty-dollar item," and mm -hmm. then uh, the parents would go in and manually decrement the account make the purchase for the child and decrement the account. And so it was very real to the children. What they weren't mm -hmm. taking care of was the actual payment. And so when we added the prepaid cards seven years ago, uh, then the kids actually got a card with their name on it, you know, that they, it was a MasterCard. It is a MasterCard card. And uh -huh. they can go make the purchase themselves and get a text message that tells them what their remaining balance is and that sort of stuff. And the parents can get text messages as well, so they see what's going on. So it's sort of right. a parent-moderated payment system, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's got that oversight of a parent, um, yes. which is... Um, very crucial at the start. Um, well, yeah, the ulterior motive is really to facilitate conversations between the parents and the kids. Um, it's really a form of uh, mentoring uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and encouraging that conversation, making conversations about money comfortable yes. uh, in hopes that if, if a child and a teenager grows up comfortable discussing money matters with their parents, that they'll be comfortable when they become young adults uh, you, you know, conversing with their partner or their spouse about those issues, really um, demystifying money, destigmatizing it. And, and really a, a quote that I love from Ron, Le Ron Lieber, who is the New York Times personal finance columnist, is every conversation about money is really about values. And right, um, yes, so, yes. so, you know, when you really think about it, what you spend your money on really should align with your, your values. And those are mm -hmm. important conversations to have with your, with your kids. 
Um, and we're also trying to encourage kids to be philanthropic. So we sort of steer them towards splitting their money into buckets, if you will, of spending, saving, mm-hmm. and giving. And so just mm-hmm. kind of um, prod some of these ideas that some some kids never run into. And we cater to every demographic that you can imagine. I mean, at first blush, a lot of people think, oh, so that's a, you know, a, a product for rich families or wealthy families. And it turns out we have every imaginable demographic and money is an important topic and conversation for every family. Yeah. It's, it's funny because money is one of those, now that you mentioned it, I, I never really thought about it this way, but money is something that everyone, no matter who you are, yep. deals with. But in every culture, in every society, money seems to have a stigma around it, despite it being something that everyone handles. You know, you never ask someone how much money they make. Uh, you never really should ask someone how much money they spent. Um, it's, it's this weird thing that it affects everyone, um, but schools don't really get into it. Um, there's no real education yeah, around it's, it. it you, you know, I think ideally it would be sort of a double whammy where the schools would introduce the concepts, but the, the, the families have to be involved because they control mm-hmm. the purse strings. Uh, well, it's like every other value, right? It, in absolutely. That the school has to introduce it or the family can introduce it, but if everyone doesn't come to the party, the kid's going to spend eight hours at school or whatever it may be, you know, doing the opposite to what they have to do at home or vice versa. Right, or never operationalizing what they've learned. So if I, I could mm. learn about the concept of compound interest, but that might be very abstract to me. Whereas if I'm getting a text mm-hmm. message every week that says you earn 15 cents in interest, you earn 20 cents in interest, uh, you earn 30 because your balance went up, your balance goes down, you learn less, you earn less. And so just experiencing the power of compound interest in a time frame that makes sense for a kid and very simply is, um, you know, incredibly powerful because, you know, when they go and get that first job uh, and, and their HR department comes to them and says, oh, do you want a portion of your paycheck to go towards your, your retirement? They're going to be like, well, yeah, I've been splitting my income since I was five. Yes. Um, whereas, uh, you know, you just versus give me all my money right now. Exactly. Exactly. So mm. uh, experiential learning is a big piece of it. And schools can play an incredibly important role in introducing the concepts, but you really need the the parents engaged to, to, to get the practice. And the other like really interesting side effect is that when parents spend time teaching their kids about money, they clean up their own habits. I was going um, to say, you can't um, sit there and lecture your kid about splitting between <laughs> spending, saving and giving without thinking, Hmm, you know, I really should be doing that as well. Um, it, it's crazy to me, the, the number of people who, you know, especially now I keep seeing in Australia, I'm not sure how much it happens in the U S these sort of short-term loans, mm-hmm. um, you know, payday we're talking like, it's like yeah, US payday too. loan sort of thing. Like the fact that they can advertise, you know, during prime time, like on prime time TV, gives you an idea of how much they must be earning off interest. Oh, extraordinary. Um, yeah. So one of the things we like to do is encourage parents to teach their kids about emergency funds. So one of those mm-hmm. buckets that ideally you would set up would be a little emergency fund. I mean, kids have emergencies. You know, My yes. kids all played hockey. They put a couple of pucks through my windows um, in the backyard. <laughs> you know, they play lacrosse. Yeah. They broke the fence. Um, there are lots of opportunities and it doesn't have to be a huge emergency fund. But just that idea that you're setting mm-hmm. aside uh, a source of funds for when something Thing goes awry is a very powerful and important idea so that you're not subsequently a young adult 
relying on, you know, expensive credit card debt or on credit. Yeah. Yeah. On debts. And it's one of those things of once you get your head around, you know, you see a hundred dollars, but like for me, when I see a hundred dollars of income, I know that, you know, in Australia, there's a 30 ish percent tax Mm -hmm. rate. Um, And all said and done, I know that I can expect less than half of that in terms of actual realized money. Um, Now, I'm get, still getting around to it, but I'm training myself to also think when I see the the consequent $50 that, you know, only a certain percentage of that is actually spending mm-hmm. money because in your head, you've got to get used to, it's got to split off to savings. It's got, to, right. it's got to split off to emergency funds, um, any other accounts that you might have, term deposits, things like that. And I I think I'm okay with money. Um, I'm not amazing. Hey, it's a journey. I, I like some expensive things. It's a journey, Remember, you I'm know. An old man. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, fi- I'm 57, so uh, I didn't even know what an index. So you got a long time to get around. I was it. in my 40s, probably. So <laughs> right there you go. That would have been I mean, helpful. I'm getting more financially literate, it, it, and that's the thing. So many people don't know those mm-hmm. sorts of things. This episode was made possible thanks to the following supporters. Future Theory, websites, marketing and design that make your goals come true. Proudly based in Canberra, Australia. Visit us online at futuretheory.com.au. Now, going back, um, now that we've sort of covered what what FAMZU Mm -hmm. does, um, when did you start the whole project? So I founded FAMZU in 2006, and it's really sort of the, the, the second half of my career, if you will. I, you know, I, I uh, got a computer science degree uh, from Princeton uh, in 1984 and have worked in uh, software ever since and mm-hmm. uh, everything. What sort of roles did you, so what sort of journey did you go through? Yeah, so initially um, I worked for uh, a couple of what I would call start downs. <laughs> so I grew, I, grew up in, I grew up in Silicon Valley. Oh wow! And my father was an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and in the late in the late fifties, he founded the first commercial laser company. So, if you've ever had your items scanned at a supermarket, uh-huh. uh, you have intera- interacted with some technology that my father was involved with. Wow! Uh, lasers are used in well, a gazillion different yeah. applications now. So, um, you know, we grew up uh, when it was sort of apricot orchards and and uh, and all hardware mm-hmm. related stuff here in Silicon Valley. And uh, that really gave me the entrepreneurial bug, if you will. It was uh, just so wonderful to tag along with my dad in the lab and see what was under development in those days. And uh, so when I went to school, uh, I was actually really first and foremost a tennis player. And I was hoping to become a pro tennis player. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Princeton because it was number seven in the nation in collegiate tennis at the time. And Stanford was number one. And I didn't want to sit on the bench at Stanford. So (laughs) I went to Princeton and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I just signed up for electrical engineering because that's what my dad was, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of deep thinking. (laughs) And um, uh, when I got to school, this was back in the day when they didn't have a separate department for computer science. So uh, E and CS, we call them Eeks Geeks, were all mixed together in the same program. And I realized that E is actually really hard. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, computer science, um, I can handle ones and zeros. Uh Well, I didn't initially. I actually got the first C minus I ever got in my career and it made me really angry. And um, so that actually got me interested in computer science because it kicked my butt and uh, I became very interested in it and, um, you know, went on to throw away my tennis racket and 
moved to the keyboard and well, the computer science. Uh, that was it. So, uh, you know, when I came out of school, I got into a, a couple of uh, startups or start downs really in uh, Southern California because my wife was getting her PhD in, in biochemistry at UCLA and started for a company that was trying to make a relational database machine. So this was when relational databases were pretty early. Mm-hmm. And this was a company that was trying to make a, a machine, uh, some hardware that was was specialized for data management. And it went out of business, <laughs> probably because they had someone as young as me working on one of the more difficult parts <laughs> of the problem, which was <laughs> the query optimizer, which is like a really hard piece of software. So um, that should have been my first clue there that they had no idea what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was great for me because I got tons of responsibility and, and learned quite a bit. And then I, when that company cratered, uh, I went to a uh, an AI company. So this was wow. in the Very late early 80s. Then. AI, uh, ha- it, it, it went through sort of its first blossoming phase where everyone thought the robots were going to take over in it. And right. it was um, what we called expert systems-based technology, rule-based expert systems, where you have this soup of rules and they try to make decisions. And so uh, I worked on uh, a tool that people use to build expert systems applications for monitoring credit card fraud, things like that. Uh, so I worked mm-hmm. on that and um, that didn't totally go out of business, but kind of didn't go anywhere. And mm-hmm. um, at that point, my wife had finished up her PhD and we came back up to the Bay area, the, the, you know, the San Francisco Bay area. And I was interviewing at various places and decided to uh, just on a lark interview at Oracle, which at the time I thought was a very large company. Turns out this was 1990 and Uh Oracle was probably, you know, like Facebook was um, in its early days and right. uh, had a very brash. So a relatively small bunch of people. Who was reasonably uh, small. Know. It was actually a public company uh, at the time. Wow. So they were public. So they were early. public uh, pretty early. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, Larry Ellison was the founder, very, very brash. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I thought, wow, this guy's a real jerk. I'm not sure I want to work at this place. Cause I was just reading an article in the wall street journal about, um, you know, his various exploits. Uh, uh-huh. and even at that time, oh yeah, yes, he, yeah, <laughs> quite a piece of work. Um, so <laughs> it turns out that it, it, the co-founder was a fellow named Bob Miner who happened to be a tennis enthusiast. And right. uh, so that helped me in the interview. And also he, he ran all the development and he was really the alter ego of Larry and very humble. You know, I came into the interview and I was regaling him with how incredibly intelligent I was because I was working on expert systems and all these things and, and telling him what I thought were these amazing algorithms. And he's like, oh, yeah, we were doing that in like 1950-something. You know, he, he just very <laughs> casually let me know that basically yeah. everything that I thought I was so brilliant at has, it was well-covered ground. He's done 50 years ago. <laughs> and he was just a wonderful person. And, um, and so that got me interested. Well, I'll give this Oracle a try. Well, 13 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was there for, for 13 years um, and ultimately ran their developer tools division. Uh, I mm-hmm. did leave for a year in the mid-90s. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say I was the VP of engineering on one of the first ad servers. So, uh, okay. yeah, it was um, a company wow. called NetGravity that was bought by DoubleClick, which was bought by Google, mm-hmm. ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not while I was there, but uh, uh, so um, was uh, um, managing the team that built uh, the first uh, server that pumped out ads and counted them and, you know, all that. And we, we talked yeah. about how personalized ads were going to be. Um, 
So, so at that time, there weren't personalized you know, ads. There no, weren't targeting we, we people told yet. Everyone they were just they showing were. you. <laughs> <laughs> but you were sitting you, in the you background know, what's really going, fascinating mm. is you, you look at Facebook today, and it's what we uh, were, were dreaming about being able to do in terms of personal, personalization and so forth. And what mm-hmm. we were kind of telling people, this is the, you know where we're going to be. Uh, but we didn't really go, think yeah. it could get pulled off. Um, and, uh, you know, when you look at the amount of data and targeting that goes on in Facebook, well, it's downright scary. Um, yeah. I mean, it's thousands of data points, right? You wouldn't even think that that, that you as an individual have that many points of Well, uh, I mean, as you, as you collect, probably know, right. kind of being in this uh, area and having and, and clients in from, this area, you know, the, you can do yeah. very targeted advertising and that's very powerful. Um now, I kind of uh, realized that, that the ad serving business wasn't something that really got me excited. Uh, and, I, mm-hmm. oh, and at that time, it was like 1998, 1997, 1998, Oracle uh, was on a, a mission to redo all of their development tools to be more internet centric. And so they asked me mm-hmm. if I wanted to come back and it was something I couldn't pass up. It was, uh, you know, the thing I love about being in the tools uh, area, which I was for 13 years at Oracle was there's so many different ways people can use your tool. And, and you know, it's, it's, you're not pigeonholed into some narrow uh, vertical. You're providing a tool that people can do all kinds of hopefully wonderful things with. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. uh, and so that really appealed to me that the, the, the broadness of it and the uh, having an enabling platform as opposed to a specific vertical. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I worked there uh, until, oh, uh, early 2000s. And then um, I, I left to become the VP of engineering at a company called Elance, which is outsourced mm-hmm. uh, freelancers uh, over the internet, you know, a marketplace. You post your project and people bid on it and um, you can get suppliers from, from anywhere. It was the vision. And I just thought that was such an amazing, compelling vision. And so uh, I joined Elance and worked there for a couple of years and, and really enjoyed it. And ultimately in my mid 40s, I, I really wanted to see if I could build a company from scratch because I was in the unique position of, I love writing software. I hadn't been, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'd been more in executive positions and hadn't had the opportunity to write software. So I felt like, gosh, you know, I'm either, I either need to do this now or, ne- or never, you know, try to build something. So um, this thing that I had built for my kids on the side, I was like, you know, they're, they're, they're learning a fair amount from this, you know, why not turn this into a product? So, and this will be the mm-hmm. perfect uh, area that kind of combined all my my passions of, of family. Uh, you know, we have a large family. I love love children. I'm a grandpa now too, so that's mm-hmm. good. Um, oh uh, yeah. wow! And uh, and so I love kids. I love uh, the notion of mentoring, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of of helping families develop important life skills. So, uh, you know, I, I love building software. So it was kind of a combination of all those things. And I like to do my Most own thing. Well. You know. I, uh, I, I like having, yeah, yeah. I, I like the luxury of, of being able to run a mission driven business. And this kind of comes around to the topic of money again, because, you know, a lot of people say, well, why is it so important for people to learn how to, to make money and, and manage that wisely? Well, for me, it's all about freedom because, um, y- you know, the fact that I had the luxury of not having to take outside money means that I don't need to answer 
to, you know, uh, outside influences when it comes to the brand that we present or, or the mission that we follow. So we can be a lot more patient. You know, the, uh, probably one of my least favorite sayings here in the Valley is go big or go home. Oh, I'm going home, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, well that, that's the thing, right? I mean, a lot of these people, they, they leave because you're entrepreneurial, you, you're driven, you don't want to be managed by mm-hmm. someone above. And then you go out and you take money that's from right. someone else and you start getting managed from managed by you know shareholders managed by other yeah. stakeholders um i know some people say where well, your clients become your new boss yeah. but really you can just drop a client well i, I mean you I mean, know the, the the, the there day, is that truth like as well i mean our boss. our families that use our product are ultimately our boss uh, in the sense that we mm-hmm. need to satisfy them or how we define that market so we can choose to niche that market uh, in a way that 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 matches our values, right? So, so for example, you know, we're going to concentrate always on education first. So we're going to favor educational features uh, over that's going to come first. uh, And, and we're, if, if, if instead all we were focusing on was the convenience of giving your kids money, we could ditch a lot of features and really simplify the product. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we could just make it as simple as possible to get money in your kid's pocket. <laughs> you know, that would be yeah, a very yeah. reduced it's like product, a really bad right? bones. Uh, instead, yeah, yeah. up front, we want to um, uh, get in your head that you want to set up multiple buckets for your kids for spending, saving, and giving, for example, right? That's a complication, if you will. Right. Mm. But mm. that's a complication that we're that we're dedicated to because our goal is to teach kids this important skill of, of separating First, money into yes. buckets. Right. So my, my point is, you know, it really depends on what your mission is. And in effect, we're firing all those customers who don't give a crap about uh, teaching their kids personal finance. And that's OK. They're, they're not our target audience. Well, exactly. You're, you're picking your bosses, yep. aren't you? And and it, it's it, you get into a funny position where these are bosses that you really do want to please because they're your right. ideal blo- bosses almost. Um, and, and you want to listen to them, which, right. you know, you might not say about every boss that you've had. Now, can we rewind really quickly? And this is more of a personal curiosity of mm-hmm. mine, but you, you talked about, you know, 13 years at Oracle and that, that journey and then became, becoming, you know, I guess managing at a at a um, executive level. Mm-hmm. What what was that like? Given that it sounds like you love software development, um, you know, I personally battle the same thing of you know really the 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 more people we add to the team um, as a founder and a and the director, I have to really become more of a um, people person, mm-hmm. more of a um, marketing sales guy versus the guy who gets, you know, gets behind and get, works on the code, who, mm-hmm. who works, works out, you know, how's this going to look? Why is it going to look this way? Um, and the technical st- stuff that we do. Um, and to me, that's not necessarily what I want to do because I, I started this business because I love, love developing websites, love coming up with marketing strategies, mm-hmm. you know, and, and often it's not just coming up with a strategy, but it's the execution that becomes so enjoyable. How was that for you, you know, going from, I assume you went from writing code yes. to 
basically having people report to you how their how the underlings you know those people who reported to you probably didn't even write code themselves they were just monitoring a team who was writing code Ult- ultimately and that is correct i mean i basically made that transition from when i started at oracle i was an individual contributor and spent all day writing code uh, which i loved and mm-hmm. um i i also happened to be i mean sort of a people person I mean, I don't mind being, I don't mind uh, not talking to people, but I, I <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you can be I'm, an introvert I'm, I'm, if, you, I'm, if you, I'm kind of a wanted. strange combo introvert extrovert. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I sort of fell backwards into management, if you will, sort of, uh, yeah. I guess everyone else stepped back and I didn't move. And so I was stepping forward if, if, as it were and, <laughs> and, you know, started out as a frontline manager, managing a small team and also developing. And then, you know, the teams got bigger. And I just found that I really enjoyed that challenge. I love mentoring people. I mean, that sounds kind of snobby or something, but um, I love help trying to help people. uh, Mm -hmm. And and I love helping the organization get its objective done. And I started to kind of view managing as really developing in a higher level language, if you will. Uh, And and I came to appreciate that organizations have structure and uh, design and that the concepts that I uh, became familiar with in software development were very applicable in my mind. And not that I treat people like pieces of code by any stretch of the imagination, Mm -hmm. but you know, there is a discipline to running a good organization. And uh, I had the classic, you know, I thought sales organizations were a bunch of dopes, you know, when I first started out. And then I realized when I, as I got higher in the organization, I realized, you know, it is very difficult to run an effective sales organization. And I got a real education. I mean, it's kind of like uh, mm-hmm. parenting. I thought like, you know, parenting, huh, how hard <laughs> could that be? You know, and I see, a, yeah, I see yeah. a kid like misbehaving. I'm like, wow, what's wrong with those parents? <laughs> And then, and of course, that was me. <laughs> Years later, I was like, oh, my God, this is really complicated. <laughs> yeah, this is crazy. How do you make this thing do what you yeah, want it to do? There's no quit in that game. Um, so, exactly. So, uh, you know, I think it's, uh, it's problem solving. And what I, what I love is that I, I think, uh, I happen to believe that, that software engineering is, a, is an amazing a discipline that has crossover into so many different facets. And these days, you know, you really can't mm-hmm. get involved in anything without well, everything's, having software yeah. uh, involved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that that was a wonderful platform for me. Uh, and, and also, I think, I personally think that the most effective managers and leaders are the ones that have some deep talent in that area, that they're more credible. It doesn't mean yes. that they jump in and meddle. It means that it, it means it that themselves. when someone comes to them and, and has an issue that they're wrestling with, that your eyes don't glaze over and that you're actually, you know, can, can be helpful. And so I thought it was fascinating for me to go from very small companies to a larger company to managing more and more people. And, uh, you know, before we started, I mentioned that we had a team in Melbourne and, and, you know, I had a team in yes. the UK and, and India, and it was just an amazing uh, journey for me. And mm-hmm. so I don't regret any of that. And, and um, you know, ultimately I love building things and building products. So, so I was lucky enough to have been fortunate in my career and have the resources to, to be able to, to fund my own company 
and I don't particularly get my jollies from Teslas or yachts or any of that stuff. So, you know, I'd rather uh, uh-huh. blow my money on a, a mission-driven company instead. On a company. And, and how's, um, now that we've started to talk about money, you ventured sure. into it, not me. So I'm, gonna, hey, it's your I'm show. just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you take it wherever you want. Um, well, okay, within bounds. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Um, what does that, how does that sort of money situation look like? Like how did you, when you started, so you started with something that you were playing around with, um, how many staff do you have at the moment? Do you have any other staff? So we have a grand total of, uh, two of us and a dog. (laughs) So, uh, funnily enough, my co, uh, my colleague is my, the, the, a fellow that I met my first day at Princeton, mm-hmm. he was the other Californian right. <laughs> in, uh, in double E in engineering. And he was the guy that prevented me from failing in computer science 101 mm-hmm. because he tutored me basically. <laughs> and, uh, he created a monster. Um, so Chris Buford, uh, is the, uh, the fellow that I tricked into joining me at FAMZOO after about a year of, uh, going solo and writing all the original code myself. Right. And, uh, and then I convinced Chris to join me. Mm-hmm. And um, so Chris and I, and, and this is what I think is so amazing about um, the world today. We service 10,000 paying families mm-hmm. and there's two of us. Yes. And we can, we're, we can pull that off because we're leveraging a platform underneath. Like our card, our, our cards, you know, those are banking products and they they uh they have to to meet uh, quite a high bar mm-hmm. in terms of regulate regulatory bar and so forth so we're calling uh, a set of apis to manage the card balances that are all managed by our card processor so that's basically outsourced yes. and what we concentrate on is the software experience that ties the cards together into a family and provides all the educational stuff and and so uh this is so different than writing software in 1984. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it's just, I mean, I've been in software for 35 years and I still, it still blows my mind. Uh, uh, it's <laughs> insane what you can do with it, it's wonderful. APIs. And for the, for the listeners who don't know what mm-hmm. APIs are, um, they're basically just languages and ways for um, products or software and platforms to talk to other platforms. And, you know, you can return commands and you can send commands and, um, it's just yes. a communication method. And so, and so what, what has changed so dramatically is that back in the 80s, you know, we were writing software that, uh, you know, to, to reach people across the country would be very difficult. I mean, you'd have to distribute, we, we, you know, software was distributed physically yes, back on, then. on discs. Uh, and, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, um, and now, you know, you can reach anyone. And so the only reason that we, we are predominantly a U.S. audience is because of banking regulations mm-hmm. and so forth. And our card processor only can issue cards to uh, U.S. residents. So, uh, but other than that, um, uh, you know, we're, we're in every, every state in the United States and, uh, and we, we have uh, no, no office. There's, um, so this is my uh-huh. office. This uh-huh. is the uh, downstairs bedroom. Uh, that I um, strategically located in my home so that my in-laws couldn't stay with us. <laughs> Sorry, no room. I've got, <laughs> I need to work. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and uh, Chris, who I've known, you know, forever, mm-hmm. uh, for 35 plus years, 39 years, you know, he works from uh, Southern California, that, that lesser part of California, <laughs> we like to think. 
And um, so we're totally distributed. And remote, yeah. And uh, remote. And, you know, to me, it, to, to me the, the really interesting challenge now, which is very different from my challenges at Oracle or Elance where I was managing reasonably large teams, is now the interesting challenge is just how big could we get with just two people? Mm. To me, I think that's a really interesting, fun challenge. And I have the luxury of being able to pursue that challenge because we don't have any outside money. So if, if we had outside money, they'd be like, where's the growth? Where's yes. the growth? Where's return the growth? my money back to me, you know, tenfold. Yeah, as we, soon as you know, possible. we have to, we have to like, and, and this was the case at uh, Elance and um, NetGravity and, and Oracle. Yeah, even public uh, traded companies. Nothing wrong yeah. with that. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. But, but what's so neat about becoming uh, financially independent uh, is that you can focus on other things. So I, I want to have a viable business mm. because I can't achieve the mission of, of uh, helping to educate kids across the U.S., hopefully someday uh, uh, worldwide. Mm -hmm. I, I can't achieve that mission unless we have a healthy, growing company. Um, but I don't have to do crazy stuff to jack to get up that. revenue. Yeah. Like, for example, kids lose their cars all the time. Mm -hmm. They're kids, mm -hmm. you know? It's, it's a thing. They're irresponsible. Yes, yes. That comes with the territory. Uh -huh. Half their brains function, you know? <laughs> That's just the way it yeah. is. We could charge some ridiculous fee for that, you know, and we could, that would be like instant profit yes. right there. Um, we don't, mm -hmm. we're, uh, cards are free because you know what? Parents are, are, are uh, that's why it's called fam zoo. <laughs> They're dealing with a zoo already. Yeah. They don't need a bunch of like unpredictable expenses, expenses or whatever. So what we do is we charge, you know, one flat fee per month. And the idea is just keep the fee simple. Mm -hmm. They don't have to worry about overdrafts. They don't have to worry about, you know, losing cars, yeah. any of that yeah. stuff. And, and, and um, I guess they don't have to worry about layers of where, the, you know, suddenly the bill can be different or much more expensive. So in right. terms of their budgeting, right. they can just go and flat I'll, fee. You know, a lot of our families are very low income. Mm. In fact, many of them use the product to r run their whole family household. Mm. So the, the parents have cards as well. Uh, and, and so that predictability is very important to them. And um, so the point is that, you know, one of the reasons to learn personal finance as a skill and, 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 and learn to spend less than what you have is that, when you do create a surplus, it gives you this tremendous freedom, mm. whether it's to deal with an emergency or your family or to run a mission-driven business if you're yeah. or, or treat uh, yourself as, if as you, lucky if you and so fortunate choose. as I've been. Thank you for listening to the Future Tribe podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on your podcast app.